Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Well, hi again, everybody, and welcome to Dialed In with Tom Brenneman. Great to have you with us this week's program. We thank, as always, our producer-engineer, Dave Arbrewster. We thank our friends from the Believe Network for hosting our podcast and sticking with us, and we're growing by leaps and bounds every single week, and we thank each and every one of you and tell your friends about the show. This week's show, you know, I've had a chance my entire life to grow up around professional athletes, going back to when my father started broadcasting the Cincinnati Reds in 1974. And, I mean, some of the biggest stars, um, not only in baseball, but, but in all of sports, you know, names like Pete Rose and Johnny Bench and Joe Morgan and, and, and Julius Irving back when he announced in the ABA and Charlie Scott and George Gervin and Artis Gilmore and Dan Issel. I mean, the list goes on and on. And, and, and I was fortunate enough and blessed enough to know a lot of these guys starting about eight, nine, ten years old. I'm not sure I've ever met an athlete who is better with people than our guest today. And that is a longtime Major League first baseman, spent a lot of years with the Reds, but also spent time one year in Pittsburgh, his hometown, um, one year in uh, Detroit, a couple of years in Detroit, and then finished his career in Boston, and that's Sean Casey. Um, You see him on the MLB Network, but I I think you're going to find out here over about the next 40 minutes uh, exactly what I'm talking about. As genuine, as down-to-earth, as friendly, respectful, Uh, appreciative as anyone that I have ever been around and not just an athlete. So, having said that, when we come back, Sean Casey, our guest on Dialed In with Tom Brenneman. Since 1882, Children's Home of Northern Kentucky has been a lifeline for children and families in crisis. Now known as CHNK Behavioral Health, its team of doctors, nurses, and therapists impacts nearly 4,000 kids and families every year. An array of mental health services, including counseling, addiction treatment, and psychiatric residential care. CHNK also continues to care for abused and neglected youth who are in the state's custody. Right now, CHNK Behavioral Health is offering a free 10-minute conversation with a clinical therapist to help families dealing with the increased pressures caused by the ongoing pandemic. Visit www.chnk.org for more details. Or, for the free conversation with a therapist, call 1-844-YESCHNK. Sean Thomas Casey was born in Willingboro, New Jersey in July of 1974 as the son of Joan and Jim Casey. His family shortly moved to Upper St. Clair, Pennsylvania. That's right outside of Pittsburgh. He graduated from Upper St. Clair High School, played collegiately at the University of Richmond, which, strangely enough, was the only school to give him a chance to play baseball. In his junior year, he led all Division I players with a 461 batting average and won the CAA, his conference triple crown, only player to ever do it. In 1996, Sean Casey was drafted by the Cleveland Indians in the second round and skyrocketed immediately to the top of their prospect list. On March 30th of 1998, Sean was traded to the Cincinnati Reds for pitcher Dave Burba. Four days later, he was hit in the eye with a thrown ball by teammate Damian Jackson during batting practice, hours away from opening day, resulting in a fractured orbital and subsequent surgery performed by two doctors spanning nearly five hours. 
Three weeks later, he was on the comeback trail, and by the end of that year, back in the big leagues. His first full season, one year later, hit 332, 25 home runs, 99 knocked in, 42 doubles, and went to his first of what would be three All-Star games. Sean Casey would star over 12 years, played in 2006 a World Series with the Tigers. He's a member of the Cincinnati Reds Hall of Fame, and he is the father of two boys, Andrew and Jake. Sean Casey, what did I leave out that I should not have left out that you're most proud of? Tommy, it's one of the greatest introductions of my life. I appreciate that. Uh, you know, I have two little girls, too. I have two little girls, Carly and, J- and uh, Jillian, yep. that are 15 and 11. And, uh, no, that was a great – I appreciate that. that was a, it's cool to look back at life and go, man, that's, that's some cool stuff that's happened along the way. and It's been a cool journey. Well, it's really, really cool. And please tell your daughters I am sorry for not mentioning them. I feel terrible <laughs> about that because as a father of a little girl, I know what it's all about. Right. You know, yeah, yeah, your little girls. There's something about daddy and, and his girls. So I know you know that feeling, and I, I have that same feeling towards them. So I just had to throw them in there because, like, uh, you know, they, they got to be in there. And I am glad. <laughs> you, you better believe they better be in there at the top of the list, in fact, ahead of the boys. Hey, I want to go back to, to you growing up outside of Pittsburgh, and I've read a lot of stories and really not talked to you a lot about it, even though you and I have known one another for a long time. You and your dad would spend hours together, hours and hours and hours working on your game. What are some of the things that you guys did? And maybe it was nothing physically. Maybe it was just all mental. But what were some of the things that you did that you think really ultimately helped you become a major league player? Well, you know, I think I, I think I, I loved baseball because my dad loved baseball. That was kind of the first thing, you know. And, um, you know, I think I always had a, conversa- I had a conversation with him. My, my freshman year in high school, I, I didn't play at all on the freshman team. A little bit. I, I had a few hits and blah, 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 but I didn't play. This other kid played. I remember coming home to my dad. And I always think about this conversation because it was life-changing for me because I think about how one conversation could change the trajectory of your life. But I was 14 years old, I believe, at the time, and I said to my dad, hey, Dad, can you go talk to the coach? Because up until then, I'd been one of the best players, you know, 11-year-old mm-hmm. travel, 12-year-old travel, 13, 14. And so I said to my dad, can you go talk to the coach? I don't know why I'm not playing here. And he said, you know what? Sean, he's like, I you know, appreciate the conversation, but I'm not going to go talk to your coach. He's like, uh, you're not, you know, you have to understand his point of view. You're not, you, you, we know you're better than the kid that's playing, but you're not glaringly better. And he's like, and the only way to get glaringly better than, than, some, than other people is to really put the work in. And he was like, there's a batting cage that opened up in the town next to us in Bethel Park. And he said, I'll pay for as many tokens as you use. Let's make this deal. I'll pay for as many tokens as you use. He's like, as soon as you stop hitting, deal's off. But as, as long as you go in there and hit, I'll pay for whatever. And, I, and he's like, you just got to work harder and get glaringly better. And that's really how it started for me. I was like, I took kind of my dad up on that offer. I started hit every day. There was a hitting coach, that a guy that I worked with named Frank Porco. I take a 30-minute lesson on Tuesday nights. And then I hit for hours every day after that. So every day I'd hit, you know, after school and go to this cage and hit and hit and hit. And my, my sophomore year I started. Uh, and JV, and then I started my, and then and then all uh, started varsity my junior and senior year. So it was really that conversation that got me to 
start to realize, you know, you got to put the work in. Like, things aren't just given to you in life. You actually have to go do something about it. You're coming out of high school. And look, you know, I always say to people, you know, all the players are coming out of Texas and California and Florida and Georgia and all these warm weather places. And and I always hearken back to, you know, the kind of all-star team you could put together out of cities like Cincinnati or Pittsburgh or whatever it might be. But But you're coming out. And, you know, there aren't colleges beating down your door to come play there. How did it come to pass that Richmond was the spot? I mean, you and you, you're writing letters, right, to colleges and all that kind of thing? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. How did it come to pass? Yeah. Well, I was, it, was, it was in the middle of May. It was right around this time of my senior year in high school. All my buddies were going different places. I, I, I just wanted to go, I, I, you know, there was a couple of places, I really wanted to go to Penn State, and I went up to Penn State, and I, and I met with the coach, and it was before, my sister was going there, and it was, it was before a game, uh, and I, met, I went with the coach before a football game, and he was like, we, you know, we saw you play at the Keystone State games, we think you're a Division One hitter, we're going to, you know, I said, listen, I don't even need a scholarship, just give me a chance to come walk on, I'll prove to you that I'm, I'm a Division One hitter. Okay, cool. Three weeks later, I get, I get a, I get a, um, um, an acceptance letter in the in the uh, mail from Penn State Barron, which is a branch campus. Here, you know, and, and I so I call the coach Tommy. I'm like, hey, uh, coach, I think there's a there's must be a misunderstanding here. I said I got a letter from Penn State Barron, not 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 main campus. I said, what's going on here? He's like, hey, listen. He's like, why don't you go to Penn State Barron for two years? He's like, if you do well there, you could transfer to main campus junior year i'm like you son of a gun you gotta be kidding me are you just, like and i remember being devastated because i like i had put my eggs into that basket sure. oh penn state wants me by. so after that after that i told my dad i was so frustrated i'm like what do i do dad he's like i was like i'm not even getting a division three offer i was i i didn't have a division three two or one offer. i had no offers and i think it's like you know, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't showcase well. I was the Tom Brady of showcases. You know, you go run the sixty, like, and and next thing you know, uh, they're like, uh, they go do it. Oh, these people come back tomorrow to hit, and I was never on the list. And I'm like, uh, sir, uh, I mean, let's do something wrong there, Sean Casey. They're like, yeah, you run a seven four sixty. I'm like, is this a track tryout or are we doing baseball? Right, you right. Do you want to do you want to see me hit or do you want to see freaking uh, people run? Like, what are we doing here? Like, I don't understand. So I never made the second day of trials. It was so frustrating. And so I think when people saw me play, they're like, oh, you know, he doesn't, you know, do this and this well. And it's like, oh, my God, so frustrating. So my dad said to me, he goes, listen, he goes, if they're not going to come to you, go to them. And he had just started his own company called Casey Chemical. So he was really big into network marketing. He was literally sending, I mean, I freaking stuffed the envelopes every month. Me and my sister, 5,000 of these ridiculous Casey Chemical envelopes. He's like, if we get two people to respond, it'll be a good, you know, that's two sales. Sure. Crazy. I'm like, this is, you know, slave labor. But, but anyway, I understood what he was saying about the network marketing. So he's like, sit down. He's like, write down, write to 30 schools, you know, Division three. So mm-hmm. I wrote to everywhere, Marietta, Worcester, uh, you know, John Carroll, uh, all the way to Clemson, Penn State, Texas, right? And so he's like, write, write a letter why you want to come to their school. Go to them. He's like, if they're not going to come to you, go to them. So I write these 30 letters, and my dad comes up, Tommy, with a brochure from University of Richmond, that they had given me at the Keystone State games the year before when Penn State had seen me. He goes, hey, send one of this University of Richmond. They sent you a brochure. I'm like, okay, <laughs> cool. So the last letter I write to University of Richmond, probably letter 31, boom, I send it off. You know, I, I don't hear anything back from anybody, blah, blah, blah. 
So there's three games to go in my in my senior year. I'm really heading to – I'm going to go to probably John Carroll, and, but not even to play baseball. I'm going to walk on. I'm going there for school. It's the only one that gave my parents financial aid, right? So that's where I'm going. So um, so this one day – my dad's, my dad's big message to me, Tommy, was preparation meeting opportunity. He's like, you're, he goes, your opportunity is going to come at some point. It's going to come it's somewhere. He goes – what a shame it would be if you weren't prepared. So, like, for, like, four, three years of hitting every day after school, I had it in my mind, preparation me out too. And I remember thinking, my dad's full of crap. It's like, what do you mean opportunity? It's been three years. I can't even get a sniff from anybody. This guy's full of crap. I don't know what he's talking about, right? So, we come up to this game. There's three games to go in the thing. We're playing this Montour team right next to us. And I first at bat, rocket in the gap, double, two RBIs. Next at bat, rocket, left center. So I go right center, left center. The next thing I go dead center, left center. I go four for four, eight ribbies. You know, best day of my best day of my high school career, right? Four hits, four for four, four. So I'm going out to the um, uh, first base in the seventh inning, and uh, my coach comes up, Jerry Malarkey, says, "Hey, Case, how many hits do you have?" I like, go four hits. He goes, "How many doubles?" I go four doubles, eight ribbies. Oh, that's great, man. He goes, "See that guy behind the behind the plate?" I go, "Yeah." He goes. University Richmond coach drove up with his wife to see you play. You got to be I go, kidding. Oh, I swear to God, dude. I go, are you kidding me? So after the game, I go up to the coach. I'm, I, I can't believe it. I'm kidding. I, I just, I just so grateful someone saw me play because I've been, I could, because I could always hit like this, you know, but it's just like, you know, I just, I just, I just kept getting that, you know, you know, run around. So I go up to the coach and I say, Hey, nice to meet you. I say, Hey coach McQueen. He was the pitching coach, you know, recruited coordinator. So I go, Hey, nice to meet you. Hey, he goes, man, I mean, you you can really hit. He goes, let me go back to the let me go back to the, you know, Coach Atkins, and I'll give you a call. So two days later, he calls me. Hey, we'd like to offer you. They offer me a thousand dollar scholarship, but I didn't care at the time because I I was like, I'll take I'll take. Just tell me I can come. That's all. Tell me you want me. <laughs> so he gives me a thousand dollar scholarship. It's thirty grand a year to go there. I had never even been to university. So I don't even know what it is. And 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 my, and my dad's making thirty three grand a year as a chemical salesman. So I'm like, Dad, what are we going to do? We can't afford university. Richmond. He's like, We'll figure it out. Like, you know, we'll take a second mortgage on the house. We'll get financial aid. We'll figure it out. So sure enough, that's how I got the University of Richmond. Wow. And and the, yeah, it's crazy. And then the rest history. I end up starting my freshman year, freshman All American, sophomore year. I do really well, and I go to the Cape that summer when Todd Helton, Darren Erstad, Mike, well, all these guys are the big big prospects. And I remember some of the guys on my team at the Cape Cod League are like, hey, where's Richmond? Is that Division Three? I'm like, no, we're Division One. Don't get caught in the web. We'll spin webs all over the freaking place. You know, Fresno State, we don't care who you are. We'll kill you. You know? And, and that summer, I ended up beating out Todd Helton for, to, um, for All-Star, and that really got me on the map with scouts. And then I won the NCAA batting title my junior year. So when, when, when you go to Cape Cod League, and I was going to ask you about this once you got into pro ball, because, you know, look, yeah. I mean, you know, everything you said was true about University of Richmond, Division One, CAA, all that kind of stuff. But we also know there's a prejudice, whether it be in high school, whether it be in colleges, you know, for the University of Texas and Mississippi State right. and Florida and all right. this, California, blah, blah, blah. Did it take right. you that summer at the Cape, or did it take you when you got into camp the next year you're drafted in the second round by Cleveland, where you really knew. I mean, you, you, you know, you just told us about how you weren't invited back to the second day. You're traveling. You know, you're trying with all these colleges. But, but was it that Cape Cod experience, or was it once you got into pro ball where you said, you know what, I can hit with anybody? No, it was the Cape. It was the Cape because I went to the, when I went to the Cape. I remember, um, I just remember like 
being really nervous, like, man, these are the best players in the country. Like, I, I, everyone, you know, if you're playing college baseball, you know the Cape Cod League. You even know of it if you don't play college baseball. It's the best of the best. It's just a really cool place. And I just remember, like, my first guy kind of sitting about 150 because I just didn't believe. I, didn't, I, didn't, I don't know if I didn't believe in myself at the time or what. But I remember, I remember I started getting it going, like sitting some rockets, and then I was facing some really good pitching, guys throwing 94, 95 miles an hour from all over the place, Clemson and Florida State. And I'm like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm raking these guys. Like, I, I, I belong here. And then next thing you know, I hit 340 for that summer, led the league in RBIs. And when I beat out Todd Helton for All-Star, he was, there was talk he was going to be the first pick. And, they, you know, I almost won the MVP of the Cape, and Erstat was the first pick. So as soon as I left that summer, I went back to I went back to Richmond. I said, "Nah, no more of like, hey, he, you're the guy that just can't get a college scholarship. You're the guy nobody wants." Like I was, you know what I was doing, Tom? I was collecting the chips on my shoulder. Yep. Hey, you're not fast enough. There's a chip. Hey, you don't play great defense. You don't hit for enough power. Oh, oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, come watch me play. Come watch a game time. Come see the guy that's getting three hits a game. Come see the guy that's hitting 461 at Richmond. Because I went back my junior year and I was like. I'm, the, I'm one of the best players in the country. Yep. Like, as a matter of fact, I called my coach and I'm like, hey, you got to give me a full scholarship because my parents can't afford to send me here and my sister to Penn State. is like, you got to give me a full scholarship or I'm transferring because I'm, I'm good. I'm a good player and I'm so sick and tired of like feeling like, oh, Sean, you're the guy that's the leftover guy. Like, I started to believe in myself that summer and I went out and uh, hit 461 my junior year, won the NCAA. I was the best. Division one baseball player. That that's that's that my junior year. When three years earlier, I'm writing thirty freaking letters to Division three colleges <laughs> to ask them to beg them to have. Can I just come on and freaking walk on right. the team? You know what I mean? That's so amazing. Like I, that's and, amazing. And I mean, it's swept, amazing. We swept. We swept Penn State my junior year. It was the greatest three game sweep of my life. They came into Richmond. We swept them out of town. See you. We'll see you later, Penn State. You know what I mean? Free, good luck. <laughs> that is awesome. That is yeah. awesome. <laughs> You get drafted by the Indians in the second round. You go racing through the system. You're in the big leagues, you know, uh, two years later. Um, you're their number one prospect. And now all of a sudden, about a, a little less than a week before opening day, you're traded to Cincinnati. Um, yeah, you get before, tra- no, 14, 14 hours before opening day. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, so now 14 yeah. hours before opening day, you're in batting practice. Uh, one of your teammates, Damian Jackson, the whole thing was an accident, but he throws a ball. He hits you in the eye. Um, yeah. You require two surgeries, two different doctors, goes over four hours long. W- were yeah. you scared at that point that you might never get a chance to play baseball again? You know what? I, 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 was, I, was, I, I definitely was scared because I knew it was serious. And I remember I just met Kremchek at the time, and you could tell that Kremchek was nervous. You know, he was, he was nervous. And I remember him telling me after I'd come back and healed maybe a year later, he, I remember him pulling me aside saying, I really thought your career was over. Like I just, I didn't think you were going to be able mm-hmm. to come back from it. Cause I had changed. Like I still have damage in that eye today. Like my, my, my iris was damaged and you know, I was whatever, you know, it was one, one centimeter away from, you know, from being damaged forever, you know, all that stuff. Uh, and so, yeah, I did. But, but I also, I also, there was a part of me where my faith really came yep. into play. I just remember my dad always telling me like, Hey, God's going to give you nothing you can't handle. And I remember holding on to that like a lot. I remember laying in the hospital room and thinking to myself, God's going to give me nothing I can't handle. Like, and if baseball, if it turns out that baseball is the way I go in my life, then that's great. Or it's not, then that's okay too. But like, he's going to give me nothing I can't handle and I'm going to be okay. 
Well, you come back. I mean, the thing is, it's not only going through that surgery and, and getting back, period. But, I mean, three weeks later, you're going back out roughly a month later, and here you come again, and by the year's end, you're back in the big leagues again. I mean, yeah. that, that in and of itself is just it, – it, it's incredible. Well, you know what, Tommy? I, it's funny looking back. Like, I came back quickly, and I think there was a sense of urgency. I mean, Bowden had just traded Dave Berba, his number one starter for me. Next thing you know, I'm, 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 my career might be over. I go down to AAA. I had this major surgery. I go down to AAA. It was probably all too soon, but like I was excited. They were excited. I go down to AAA, and in those three games, I end up going six for 12. I remember facing El Duque. He was down there on a rehab assignment. I got like two or three hits off him. I remember Bowden calling me and be like, you ready to go? I'm like, hell yeah, I'm ready to go. You know? <laughs> and so, so he calls me up. I go to Montreal. We face Javier Vasquez. I go three for four that night, and I'm like, man, I, I, I'm, gonna, I, I'm, I'm ready to go. But then I proceed to go oh for my next 35. You know, it was like, oh, my God. It was like such a great experience for me because it was like one of the toughest times of my career happens right after the eye injury. I come back, go oh for 35. They send me down to the minors. But that I needed that month. It was almost like spring training for me again. Sure. So I went down to Indianapolis for a month. And then I was able to kind of work my way back. And then I think when I came up, I hit 300 in the second half. And I, didn't, I never went back down. So it was uh, – but, yeah, to, 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 to persevere through that, that was a big learning, you know, big learning lesson for me. 1999 now, this is the first full year back after that whole ordeal. And, I mean, you have a monster year. You, you hit 332. Uh, you have over 40 doubles, 25 bombs. You knock in 99. You go to the All-Star game. And, you know, I've heard a lot of people say that that Reds team of 99, and I've heard my dad say this a thousand times of his 47 years announcing the Reds, that that might have been his favorite team, that 99 oh. team. Oh. oh, my God. I, I, I got the chills. I got the chills all over my body that you, that you said that because – Especially to hear about your dad saying that because he's tough to please. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. You don't have to remind me of that, big boy. <laughs> Believe me, I'm I'm 57 years old and I know all about it. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah, exactly. So to hear Marty say that, that it was my favorite team in my life. I played 12 years in the big leagues. I I played on some great teams, World Series in '06. The '99 Reds team to me, with you know, with Aaron Boone and Pokey Reese and Dimitri Young and. And, and Lark and, and Greg Vaughn and Jeffrey Hammonds, Michael Tucker, like Eddie Tobinsky, we, we Pete Harnish, Denny Nagel. We had so many awesome guys. We had such a great mix of veteran players and young guys. And I, I think we took the, the baseball world by storm. Yeah. No one expected us to do anything. We won 96 games. It still bothers me to this day, like 96 games. And, and, and we just, you know, we had to get that 163 against the Mets and lose. It's just like, but it was the greatest team I've ever been a part of. So many good, unselfish guys that really were – I really felt like a family. Like We felt like we were really in it together. And I, I still have Reds fans to this day come up to me and say, you know, that 99 team was my favorite team ever. And, like, it's just it, – because it was so many special guys on that team, so many special human beings. You know, the, the interesting thing that a lot of people that maybe don't, don't follow the Reds is that team wins 96 games. You get shut out by Al Leiter in a one-game playoff uh, in Cincinnati, and, and that was the end of that season. And now all of a sudden comes that offseason. And the Reds trade for Ken Griffey Jr. He's the best player in Major League Baseball, no doubt about it. And you got to be thinking, right, you know, here we go. 
But, you know, for a multitude of reasons, the whole Ken Griffey Jr. thing just didn't work, I think it's safe to say, in Cincinnati. He struck me, Sean, as never being happy coming back home. Do you, do you think that's a fair statement? You were around him every day. Yeah, I don't know if he wasn't happy coming home. I think the injuries marred his, marred his time in Cincinnati because, you know, Griff, when, when Junior came to us, he was Michael Jordan of baseball yeah. at that time. At that time, he was the Michael Jordan of baseball. I mean, 50-some homers a year, uh, always driving in 130, 140 ribbies. It was unbelievable. And, and he, was, he was the uh, Michael Jordan of, of, of that time. And I think he never really had any injuries. And when he blew out his hamstring, um, you know, I think, it, I think he was dealing with it in 2000 with us when he put up a monster year, 40 home runs, drove in 110 RBIs, I think something like that. You know, he had a, great, a griffy year. But his, I know his hammy was bothering that year. And then when he blew it out, I think, in 2001, I think it just started a spiral of, like, I've been there before when you're injured. Like, all of a sudden, you're like, man, this, this doesn't feel good. You don't feel like you're part of the team. And I think, I think those injuries added to the fact that he never felt as home in Cincinnati as he did in Seattle. In 2006, you get to play for your hometown team for a short time in Pittsburgh. That, that must have been really cool, right? It was really cool. I mean, I grew up in Pittsburgh. I, you know, I always thought that, that I wanted to always play for the Pirates. And uh, I remember being on deck a couple of times looking down at that Pittsburgh across my chest thinking, man, this is really cool. Like, this is like a dream, a dream come true. I mean, you know, to, to play for the Pirates and to, and to wear that uniform. We just stunk. Well, uh, not, not a lot changed for about the next 20 years after that either. <laughs> exactly. they, they finally exactly. got it together, you know, and they're back exactly. on hard times again. It's a shame because it right. is a great, great baseball great. town. Later, yeah. later that year, though, now you're traded to Detroit. And, I mean, mm-hmm. you get over there and you tear it up. And, and I had a chance for Fox that year to broadcast that um, American League Championship Series. Oh. You yeah. get hurt, um, your calf. Yep. And then you yep. come back for the World Series and, again, just knock the cover off the ball. Unfortunately, you guys get beat in that World Series in five games by St. Louis. But I tell you, the, the amount of time I spent in Detroit for that league championship series, that town and that team, that was one electric, electric place yeah. to be. It was, it was, Tommy, I mean, you nailed it. It was electric. That city was, like, blown away alive. I, I remember hitting a ball – Against Randy Johnson in the division series, in the, I hit one in the gap, I, you know, and it scores two runs. It puts us up big, you know, just a huge game. And Tory's coming out to take out, uh, take out Randy Johnson, and I'm sitting on second base. Now the the view that I have of the crowd is phenomenal, and they're playing in the background. Hey, and the freaking place is on their feet, and you can't see a human. All you can see is 55,000 orange towels ripping around. And I remember thinking to myself, like, I just created this pandemonium. Like, yeah. this is pandemonium. Like, I remember, like, one of the coolest moments of my career. But it was really that the, the, the city of Detroit and how much they loved the Tigers. And, and, and they'd been losing for so many years. And that team just brought an energy that I've never seen before. And that, that was just phenomenal. Those, those, that, that I am so thankful that I got to play on that team. Like I look back at my career now, I'm like, oh my god, thank God I got to play on that team. And that was and for, and for that city it was unbelievable. You know, you played in what twelve uh, postseason games. You drive in nine runs in your postseason career. You hit over four hundred in the postseason. Now, look, there are a lot of there are a lot of great players and great hitters, 
who for whatever reason, and, and it's not saying they choked, it's nothing like that. I'm, I'm just saying that for whatever reason, they might be facing a hot pitching team or a couple of hot pitchers, whatever it might be. Some of the game's greatest players did not fare well in the postseason. There have been other guys who weren't the best players on the planet and had great postseasons. Why do you think, when given the chance, you were able to play so well in the postseason? You know, I just I, I feel fortunate. I, you know, I know at the, at the time in the postseason, you know, I, I I think there's an elevation. There's a there's a um, you know there's a, an atmosphere like you've never felt before. And I think there's I know for me, I was just was I was during the time of my postseason time, I was really able to lock in and really able to you know get to a place where man, I I felt like I was really confident and really uh, you know. And I think well, another thing was just learning the mental side of the game, like understanding that. You know whether you're in the World Series or whether it's the it's the third day, uh, you know, of the year, um, you know, with nobody on, nobody out, or 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 bases loaded in the World Series. Like mentally, you got to be able to get to a place where it's you and that baseball. And I think that helped me a lot in the postseason to not make too much of it, but to know after the games were over, man, these are big deals. Like mm-hmm. you're in the postseason, that 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 the atmosphere is elevated, the crowd's elevated. But like try to live in my own world when I was in the box. I think that helped me out a lot. You got the nickname the Mayor. How did that come about? Where did it come from? It came from the Cape Cod League when I was there. Uh, when I was in the Cape, my you're coach, kidding uh, me. I never knew God. that. Yeah, it came from the Cape. Mike Kirby, who's now the head coach at New Mexico State, and Bill Mosiello, who is uh, the assistant head coach at TCU. They were my head coaches then. Uh, they were my coaches there, and they, you know. You know me, Tommy. You know, I'm coming in, and, uh, you know, I'm just saying hi to everybody. You know, I'm like, hey, what's going on? And then guys get the first made. And I remember this guy, Mike Kirby, who's, like I said, the head coach of Mexico State, was like, he's like, hey, man. So the next day at practice, I come in, he's like, man, he goes, you're the mayor. He was like, you know, the California guy. You're the mayor, man. He's like, you're the mayor. He goes, every time I look up, man, it looks like you're lobbying for votes. You're just lobbying. <laughs> Vote for the mayor, Sean Casey. Vote for the mayor, Sean Casey. So Mosiello and Kirby. And the rest of the summer called me the mayor. Like, what's up, mayor? Like, they didn't know what to call me, Case. No one called me, Sean. They called me the mayor. And I thought it was kind of funny. But it just kind of stuck with me from there on out. And Jim Betzold, who was a guy I played with in the minors, who, who, who was at Cal State Florida with Mike Kirby. And I think, you know, when I got to the minors in, in, in the Indians, he'd be like, hey, what's up, mayor? I heard you're the mayor. It just, like, kind of snowballed. And one time... When I was watching ESPN, a baseball tonight, Carl Ravitch, I hit a double. It was 99. It was 99. I doubled in the gap, and I was having a big year. And he's like, the mayor, Sean Casey, with a big double in the gap. And I think it just kind of took off. But I got it originally in the Cape Cod League in 94. You know, I have never seen, and, and I said this in the intro before we brought you on to the program here, and we're kind enough to be joined by Sean Casey. I, you know, I, look, I've grown up my whole life. Uh, being around athletes and, you know, going back to when my dad was a broadcaster in the old ABA and, and being around Julius Irving and George Gervin and Charlie Scott and then on to minor league baseball and then the major leagues and Pete Rose and Johnny Bench and Joe Morgan and, you know, on and on and on and then through my career. I mean, I, I've been around professional athletes since, I mean, really not too far out of diapers. And, and I say this with the utmost sincerity, and I know you know I mean this because I've said it to you, but I I tell anybody who will listen, I've never seen an athlete, um, I'm not sure I've ever seen a person who treats people the way you do. And and I'm kind of curious where you think that comes from. I mean, is that your mom and your dad? Is that, you know, maybe somebody at church? Is it, is it, where does that come from? 
Because not not many people yeah. are like you are. <laughs> I think it was my mom and dad. You know, I think it was my mom and dad growing up. I always kind of had a gregarious personality, but I think. I think my dad said a couple things to me, you know, when I was younger, just about like people like to be recognized. Like, like that's a big thing. Like as human beings, like you want to recognize people and the sweetest sound anybody can hear is their name. You know, and so I always kind of took that to heart. Like, and, and, you know, I obviously faith was a big part of our life growing up. My dad was always big on the gold rule, like treat people the way you want to be treated. Like, and so I just always, I don't know. I just always thought that. And I know for me, Coming up as a as a baseball fan, like you know, I, I just I always I when I when I when I got to the big leagues, I always wanted to just remain the person I am. Remain, let people know that, like, hey man, I, like I'm just like you, and I just want to just I want to I just want to um, treat people right and 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 give good energy. So I think it's probably just the way I was raised by my parents. But it had to be hard for you, I would imagine, Sean, from time to time. And look, everybody has their good days and their bad days. I get it. And and I think the overwhelming majority of guys who are in um, Major League Baseball in this case, I think most of them are probably pretty decent guys. Uh, but at the end yeah. of the day, they, you know, a lot of times, whether it's maybe they're having a bad day, maybe it's somebody that's just worn out from autograph seekers, maybe it's just somebody that just wants to tune out for the day and whatever it is. And, and you've had those days, too. But it had to be hard for you to see maybe some of the ways that other players would treat people and, and not as well. Is that safe to say? I would say so. Yeah, I would say so. I would say that bothered me at times, you know, because I because I. I don't know, man, especially now that I'm done playing, like no one cares about you as much as you think you're not as big as you're not as big of a deal as you think you are too. Like at the end of the day, we're all human beings. And I think there was times, there was times in my career where I, I, you'd see teammates interact with fans. I'm like, wow, that's like that. You know, I almost want to be like, do you know who pays our salary? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean, like, like let's not lose sight of, of who we were as a kid too. So yeah, there was times I was bothered by that. When you look at the state of baseball today, and you've done an incredible job uh, over low these many years, and goodness gracious, it's been a long, long time now. You've been working in television. Um, well, what are your thoughts, Sean, on on the state of baseball? I, I really feel like as a kid who, who's been lucky enough to grow up around it and then work inside of it, I really feel like the game is at a, a very serious crossroads on multiple levels. Um, whether it's, you know, uh, losing some of the younger fans, uh, this whole situation now with the All-Star game, the collective bargaining agreement and all of that and what might be coming and maybe some kind of a work stoppage. It just seems like there's this confluence. There's a Pittsburgh word for you. This confluence of, 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 of things that are coming together that I think baseball is really at a very precarious time. Uh, analytics, another part of it. Do you, do you agree with any of that, or do, or do you think, by and large, the game uh, ultimately, as it always has done, is going to be okay? I think the game's going to be okay because I really do believe it's America's pastime, and there's so many games that they play that there's such entertainment value for it. I do believe the product of the younger players coming up, there's a lot of really good young players in the game right now. I think that helps you know, the marketing of the players. Um, I think there's, you know, I, I definitely think there's some things. I don't love the three true outcomes like that 34, 34% right. of the three true outcomes of like strikeout walk. You know, I just, you know, and I, I, I don't, I don't like that or home run. It's like that, that, that to me, like I, I, I want to see more of like guys putting the ball in play with two strikes, like getting the line moving, like a little bit more, like the strikeouts are so high. Like guys strike out 200 times. No one thinks anything of it. Mm-hmm. You can hit, you can hit 200 now 
uh, with an 800 OPS and be like, this guy's a great player. I'm like, he's hit 200. Like, are you kidding me? Like, this is, this is nuts. So I think we evaluate players differently with the analytics, and I think that's brought a different thing to the game. I overall, Tommy, think that this, the, the game is, in a good, is still in a good enough place you know, and I think I think the higher ups, Manfred and, and Theo Epstein, those guys know that they have to figure out a way to really get creative with the fans and still find a way to interact with this, this generation of like they can't watch a thir- more than a thirty second video on Instagram. You know, mm-hmm. it's kind of kind of crazy because baseball is one of those games you really have to appreciate to sit for you know two and a half three hours and and watch a game. So I think it's better than we think it is, but I do think there's some areas that definitely need to be addressed to make the game even more appealing to the to the public all right i want to ask you a couple of questions and then i'll let you get out of here about your kids uh you have two sons yeah. as i mentioned earlier yeah. that uh yeah. that both are are going to college uh in ohio one right now at the university of dayton and then the other will be going to play baseball next year at uh at kent state university uh in in northern ohio uh you know you you watched them both play a lot of high school baseball and and your son who's still there in high school will play his senior year this year that that's got to be really cool right oh man it's great and i got the greatest job in the world because at the network i can kind of pick my days and i'm really dancing around his his uh senior year schedule so it's really cool for me to be able to see the games and see the kids play and and uh you know watch my son andrew uh, you know, this year at Dayton, he hasn't, you know, played at all, but just to see him, you know, growing up as a man and, 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 and the things that the, the lessons that baseball teach you and being part of a team and being a good teammate, he loves the guys on his team there. So, you know, for me, it's just, it's amazing as a dad to watch my kids grow into, you know, especially my sons growing to, to be young men and, and to play the game that I love. I, I'm grateful. I never pushed baseball on them. It's just something I love, and it's just something we have in common to talk about, and, and, I, and I always knew I had that with my dad, too. So it's just been a really cool experience. What is the thing that you have found uh, you enjoy, Sean, the most doing with your daughters? Now, now maybe they're athletes. I don't know. But, but yeah. is there something yeah. that, that you found that you really, really enjoy that you'd have never thought is this big, strong oh. guy throwing around <laughs> tires in his basement with all his buddies and all this stuff? I mean, is there something you've really found that you enjoy very much with oh. them? Oh, are you kidding me? Well, my youngest daughter, Jillian, she's, all she does is watch the kids' baking championships. So she's she, – all we do is bake. She's like, Dad, what are we baking? And I'm like, I don't know. Like the other day, I'm baking churros. Next day, a double chocolate chip cookies. Next day, a triple layer cake. I'm, I'm learning what I learn. I I've bought more utensils for freaking baking than you know. I'm, I'm, my house, my kitchen's a freaking absolute mess when it's done. There's, there's uh, you know powdered sugar everywhere. You know, I'm like, Jill, you gotta help clean up the you know, the kids' baking championship. They have people to clean up. Let's go. You got to help me clean up the kitchen. So I've become a great baker with my one daughter, Jillian, which has been great. And my older daughter, Carly, is a great volleyball player, good guitar. So we play a little guitar together every once in a while. I'm terrible, but she's good. And then, and then we'll, we'll bump, we'll bump, bump set spike in the driveway a lot. That is awesome. Sean, uh, man, you're the best. I can't thank you enough for, uh, for joining us here today on dialed in and, and man, uh, nothing but the absolute best for you and your family and, and God bless you, brother. We're, uh, we're, we're big fans of Sean Casey around these parts and forever will be, man. Tommy, you're the best, man. It's so good talking to you. I'm looking forward to seeing you here soon, and uh, always great to catch up. Thanks for having me on. All righty. Sean Casey, kind enough to join us on Dialed In with Tom Brenneman and uh, that guy. I mean, there you go. I mean, you heard what I said at the very beginning of the program. Uh, he's the best. Think about that journey. Sitting around, stuffing envelopes. 
to colleges get a chance to play in three-year college baseball and the best player in the Cape Cod League. And then on to the big league. God bless him. He is the best. All right. Thanks so much for joining us. As always, we thank Dave Arbrewster, and we will look forward to catching up with each and every one of you again next week on Dialed In with Tom Brenneman. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.